The Guardian. This week on The Guardian Audio Edition, Venezuela's new president. Who is Nicolas Maduro? Russell Brand on Margaret Thatcher. I always felt sorry for her children. Our audiobook review turns to non-fiction with Ahmed Arachidi's account of his time in Guantanamo Bay and a parable of innovation from Vijay Govindarajan and Chris Trimble. To subscribe for free to the Guardian Audio Edition, go to audible.co.uk forward slash guardian or find us on SoundCloud, iTunes and Audioboo. The Guardian Audio Edition, a new way to get the whole picture. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week we have fun in the sun, or at least some of us have fun in the sun at the Coachella Festival, and we meet beardy American folk rockers, Houndmouth. And to celebrate this year's Record Store Day, we have a special singles club with tracks from the XX, Disclosure and The Hold Steady. That's all on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Joining us in the studio this week is The Guardian's Michael Han. Michael. Hello, Alexis. Hello, Kieran. Hello. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. How are you? I'm starving. I haven't had a bite to eat all day. Oh, dear. I I feel, I, this I, is the news. Well, <laughs> I, I tell you what the news is. went to bed last night. Suddenly, I was dropping off to sleep. Suddenly, about quarter to one, I was, oh, my goodness. I've left my slow-roasting pork with rosemary and sage and parsley and uh, mirepoix and some stock in the slow cooker of the Arga. I'm going to have to go down and get oh, it out. No. And, the, and then I had to wait for the pork to cool down before I could put it in the fridge. You know how it is. It's terrible. These, are, so, these, you, these are rock problems. These are rock problems. Well, I'm sure you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, what's in the news this week? Mumford and Sons are taking over the world. Have you noticed? They already had no. that big thing at Lewis. <laughs> yes, actually. No. they. Um, in addition to that big Lewis festival, they're now playing the Olympic Park as well, supported by Vampire Weekend and millions of other things. And I don't know. It's kind of as if the world of music writers who tend not to like Mumford and Sons. I, I don't have strong feelings myself, one way or the other. But it's, it's like the music writing equivalent of stepping back while a totalitarian regime steps in and takes over the world. Because without us actually doing anything, they have taken over the world. There's no reason that the public should just follow what critics dictate. Of no. course, mm-hmm. you know, you should like what you like. But it just it's, seems crazily astonishing that this group of acoustic troubadours um, with a stand-up kick drum are now going to be playing to, what, 50,000, 60,000 people? The album was the, was it the biggest selling album in America last year. Wasn't Adele bigger? It was huge. It's like second biggest. Yeah, thing. I mean, it was colossal. It was colossal beyond the imagination of colossalness. Um, you know, it just goes to show that nobody gives. Mm. Have you seen? The, they were very rude thing. to me at the Brits. Ha, have, were they? Yeah. Oh no, we heard the story, but you yeah. were sort of rude to them, weren't you? No. You say. I, s- I said that. Get out of my way, you fat posh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more interested in Matt Bellamy than I'm you. I'm more interested in Matt Bellamy than you. Is that what you said? Yeah. And they got a bit eggy. The yeah. man's got the second biggest selling. Imagine well, record in America. Yeah, ima- yeah. Imagine one of the biggest groups in the world getting stroppy when told, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Just go away. <laughs> have, you, have you seen the amazing Tumblr for. It's clearly a spoof for authentic clothing, yes. real clothing for real people yes, who like fantastic. real music. No, it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Go and look at that. That is, it is absolutely so sort of accurate. There's points where it's is this a joke? Is this really? It's a only joke? the fact that you can't actually buy anything that yeah. makes it apparent that it is a joke. But yes, it's where to go for your braces and your artisan smock and your all-purpose <laughs> boots. And <laughs> what's going on in in your world, Kieran? Um, where Mumford are not in power. I was excited about the first Chanel Monet single being a collaboration with Erica Badu, mm-hmm. which is out later in April. It's yep. called Queen. It's going to be exciting. Very exciting. And the Jaipal album 
stuff that's been happening this week. Well, I mean, the Jai Paul album, let's talk about that. Is that a okay. good thing? Is that a bad thing? Because it would appear mm-hmm. that his laptop got nicked. I mean, I'm quite impressed by the fact that somebody, a thief, <laughs> has managed to sort of monetize bootlegs again. Yeah. I mean, that was obviously, you know... He's, well, he's sort of... kind of orchestrate this whole kind of hype on Bandcamp and to get people to really... Pay for it, and then. But well, he didn't orchestrate any hype on Bandcamp. He just put it up on Bandcamp, didn't he? And then people and people up on hyped it. Okay, for right. Him. I thought there was something before. People hyped. Okay. No, no, I, I, th- no, no, I think no. if you've gone around with the hyping, you're sending out press releases with a phone number and email at the bottom. He may have found himself <laughs> in some legal difficulties fairly quickly. I was talking to somebody from Jaipal's record company, XL, on Monday before they'd actually established that this wasn't his album. I mean, they they genuinely didn't know. Except the guy from XL yeah. was like, I, "I don't." He goes, "It's definitely him. It's definitely his his music." Yeah. But I don't really know what's going on. I don't know who's put it up. And he said, "But whoever." It had, whoever it is, if it's him, if it's somebody else, has had loads of money out of Excel this weekend because everybody at Excel has been paying seven quid. To <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is going on? You know, it's, it's, but it's fascinating that a man, an artist signed to a record label, can be in that position mm. where it's so mysterious they don't have a clue what he's up to. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting. Mystery is the commodity of music, is the most valuable commodity of music this year. Uh, you say that, then how do we explain? 100 million YouTube hits already, smashing all records for Gentlemen by Psy. No mystery there. I don't know what to say about that. (laughs) No, I don't know, because I've already shot my bolt about, um, so to speak, about (laughs) (laughs) Psy. Because I had to write a thing about it, which is a bit, you know, I wrote about 500 words about Psy. And it felt like writing 500 words about the follow-up to the Birdie Dance. Well, that's it. It was the world's first first 500-word review of a novelty single. Of a novelty single. And then, on top of that, the next thing I know... That fella out of the Brian Jonestown Massacre has got a big cob on about it on Twitter. About mm. your review. About my thing. Going, retweet this if you hate Psy and you want to call bullshit on Guardian UK. Two people retweeted it. Anton Newcomb, yeah. this is my, my, my Anton Newcomb claim to fame. He once registered with the Guardian site specifically to put a scathing comment beneath a review I'd written. I can't remember what the review was. That was it. Was it a video? He then disappeared was it a... again. No, it was nothing to do with him. I don't think it was even crazy American drone rock or Was it about Sully? It wasn't about Sully. He's really maybe, maybe, about maybe it was Sully. Black Lace. Maybe he's angry about Black Lace. <laughs> maybe he's just got, really got it in for novelty music. I don't know. But I mean, that's 100,000 views. 100 million. 100 million? 100,000 yeah. wouldn't be very much. <clears throat> I was going to say. But that's because million. he's probably got the Asian market more than Jai Paul has, isn't he? But also, like... Yeah, the- mate, he's, like <laughs> he's also... I, the global market. He's yeah, also, yeah. I can tell you from personal experience of sitting in my house, he's also got the nine-year-old boy oh, market. God. So he's, got, he's got the, the, um, <laughs> really? the uh, young six-year-old um, Gangnam style. I mean, I'd, 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 I'd actually not really heard Gangnam style if my daughter started going on about it, my eldest daughter. I hadn't. Really? I think I saw it once initially when they were probably before, when it was on an indie label. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you never hear the Peel session? Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. I had, I had the demos of Gangnam Style. <laughs> um, no, but I'd seen the original video. Oh, it was very funny. Mm. And then I was sort of unaware because I, you know, with the best will in the world, I don't move in the kind of circles where people are doing the Gangnam Style. <laughs> you don't hang out with Ai Weiwei and Ban Ki Moon then. <laughs> that was the amazing thing. I had no idea. Ban Ki Moon said. Uh, it's a major contribution to world peace. Uh, well, there was a, a tell sto- that. Tell that to North Korea. I was telling that story about Dennis Rodman visiting North Korea and saying that he might bump into Psy. Yeah. I tell you what, <laughs> Dennis Rodman, Idiot. I don't want to criticise uh, Vice magazine, uh, but Dennis Rodman's Vice magazine-sponsored trip, peace trip to North Korea, that went well. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the brink of the fucking apocalypse, frankly. It was nothing... Everything was all right before he went. Have you noticed that? And, um, and you know, they took Snoop... Snoop Dogg to uh, Snoop Lion to uh, to Jamaica. Yep. And um, now the entire Rastafarian community seems to be ranged in hatred. <laughs> They're chanting down Snoop Lion. I'm not surprised. Yep. Have you heard that album? Yes. Oh. <laughs> 
It's awful, and it is kind of insulting because it is all a bit. I like the Pope. The Pope smokes dope, and you know, yeah, I am not. I mean, I'm sure listeners will be surprised. Yes, I'm not actually a Rastafarian, mm. but um, you know, you've got to have respect for other people's. You might think it's you know, yeah, of course, atheist. I don't really believe in any of it, but. It is sort of disrespectful to Rastafarianism to basically reduce it to this kind of yeah, man, no problem, smoking a big joint. Thing. Yeah. It's like Homer Simpson at the airport going to Jamaica. Yeah, I and I've been in Babylon too long. Yeah, no, no totally, totally. But have you seen the film? No, I haven't. The film yet, is amazing because really because the, 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 my favourite guy in the film right. is Snoop's cousin, uh, who is actually that nigger Daz of uh, Dog Pound fame, okay. but his, I don't think his recording career is, is continuing. And he basically seems to be there as Snoop's cousin. Now, fairly remarkably, given that he's Snoop Dogg's cousin and seems to hang around with him all the time, Daz can't really appear to handle weed that well. Right? <laughs> Snoop Dogg, abso- I've never seen a human being consume marijuana on the level that Snoop Dogg does in this film, with no visible effect whatsoever. Right. There's one amazing bit where Snoop and Daz are taken by some, uh, some Rastafarians to the Blue Mountains to show them this sort of secret place where they grow mm-hmm. all the ganja. And um, Daz gets so stoked <laughs> that he basically falls down the mountain, <laughs> giggling. Watched by these vastly unamused rasters, who are all like, it's, it's, it's such an amazing. Been there. It's like wow. Have you? No. No. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so what you're saying is that Simon Hattonstone can handle his weed better than Daz. We cannot turn a second successive music weekly into a discussion of Simon Hattonstone smoking weed. Sure. <laughs> I think it's 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 more interesting than Mumford and Sons have put a big gig. <laughs> 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 I mean, on the most basic level, aren't you more interested in the idea that Simon Hanson got stoned with Snoop Dogg? Uh, Snoop Lion, as is. I don't know. Anyway, but I just feel that, um, A, it's a fairly crap record. There's a couple of good tracks on it. And B, it is a bit offensive to... I mean, you can make yeah. you can make a pop reggae record without having pretended to convert to Rastafarianism, as is proved by the career of Ace of Bass. And also, you know, I was listening to the album, and for a point of reference, mm. I was listening back to... Uh, I can't remember what I put on. I put on Two Sevens Clash by Culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that, came, that album came on, and I was like, this is just... Br-. And I thought, you know what? This Snoop record is sod off, really. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is a really good Roots record. <laughs> this is a man dicking about. But anyway, let us move on. It seemed like most bands in Britain decamped to California last weekend for the Coachella Festival. Blur, The Stone Roses, New Order, LaRue, Hot Chip, and last but not least, our intrepid reporters Tim Jones and Rebecca Nicholson were all in attendance. This is what the last two had to say. Hello, I'm Rebecca Nicholson. And I'm Tim Jones. And you are listening to a very special uh, instalment edition thing. <laughs> Of the podcast coming to you from Coachella Festival. I don't think we were allowed to do a full one. No, no, they wouldn't let us. It's possibly wise. We've probably had too many cocktails. (laughs) We did this at South by Southwest last year. Stretched out over a whole podcast. (laughs) This time, they said, how about five minutes? (laughs) (laughs) So we arrived here on the Friday morning at the start of Coachella. Rebecca, what do you think of the general vibe at this year's Coachella Festival? How how would you describe it to people in kind of cold, windy, wintry Britain? Well, this is my first time at the Coachella Festival and I'm having a lovely time. I hadn't realised how nice it is to have constant sunshine, a pleasant mood, (laughs) just general loveliness. Uh, uh, You know, as a regular of UK festivals this is all new to me so I'm having a great time do you think people in the UK though might have riots if if Coachella was brought to Britain because you can't drink unless you go to a certain roped off area 
where you can't really see any vans, you're not allowed to drink, which to a British person is almost like complete insanity. Well, we've already started to think of ways that we can maybe decant (laughs) drinks into soft drinks containers (laughs) and take them out into the main arena. We haven't done it yet, but it seems... I'm really loath to say this, but there's something quite civilised about it. You get to see the bands and you're not you're not all fuzzy in the head. You see, no. It has a crisp, clean quality to this it. Is, I feel like this is really un-rock and roll to yeah, admit, but there's something... It's OK. It's not, yeah. I was warned it's OK this, not to drink, It's, it's OK not to be drunk all the time. I was warned about this before we got here, that... It, it's difficult you're penned off but you can see the bands from some of the drink pens yes the drink pens. <laughs> the drink pens it's not so bad it's how, not so bad how would you describe the crowd here it's a mixed crowd there's a lot of beautiful people as you'd expect from uh, Los Angeles kind there's of there's not many clothes I've not noticed. many clothes but, not many clothes <laughs> there's a lot of swimwear very skimpy swimwear we Which I haven't, I haven't indulged in myself. I've just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tim's actually trying the side boob this year. <laughs> <laughs> the side boob is a thing, isn't it? Side boob was a thing last year. We've been speaking to some people who come here regularly. Side boob was a look last year. This year it's been replaced by half butt. <laughs> which is a very short short that shows at least half of a bum cheek. Uh, that's the new side boob, <laughs> apparently. This is what people want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we talk about the music? We should talk about the there music. There is music at Coachella. Who did you enjoy seeing, Tim? Well, I don't want to sound like I've come all the way to, <laughs> come all the way to California to watch Hot Chip. But <laughs> Hot Chip was so good and they've just worked out how to play a festival crowd perfectly. And it was the I, the crowd were absolutely going insane for it. You know, it was they don't have any bad songs, so it worked really well. Well, that's been an interesting theme of it for me is how massive dance music is. The, the yeah. by far and away the busiest tent I've seen all weekend is the dance tent. Yeah. Uh, even at two p.m. It's heaving. And it doesn't matter who's playing. No, they just they want to hear the beats. It was Coldplay remixes, and everyone was going wild. Everyone was going wild for it. Excellent. Uh, who else has been good? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Sure. <laughs> who else has been good? I enjoyed the AES on Friday night. Yeah. I think anyone who can grunt through a microphone while it's partially stuffed into their mouth is a true showman. <laughs> yeah. A true showwoman. So I applaud Karen O. Uh, we saw Jessie Ware earlier today. She was very good. I thought Savages were excellent. Savages were excellent. Because they were so inappropriately kind of, you know, they were dressed inappropriately. It was aggressive. It was intense. It wasn't the kind of laid-back vibe that seems yes. to be going on in a lot of... I just said vibe. <laughs> you, I've been in book. California for four days. <laughs> <laughs> I've started saying vibe. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we've noticed is that there are a lot of British bands here. Yes. A lot of British bands. And you actually you reviewed the first day and had a comment on the review that said you guys have come all the way to California and only review British bands but actually I don't think it's our fault there are British bands on almost every stage almost all the time although one of the weirdest things which I talked about in the review but the Stone Roses was so strange it was so empty I mean the crowd was five times bigger for Tegan and Sarah which when you think about what a kind of iconic legendary status the Stone Roses have back in the UK it was kind of, it just didn't suit them at all to be playing this kind of piddling little crowd. Yeah. It was very strange. And you strange. said Ian Brown wasn't quite on form. He, his vocals were on a bit of an off day. So maybe he was on form. 
yeah. He was true to form. He was true to form. Um, also talking British bands, you spoke to a British band earlier, didn't you? I did. I had a chat with Disclosure, who told us all about their festival. So I am here backstage at Coachella with Disclosure. Do you want to say uh, your names for the listeners at home? Hello, Guardian. I'm Guy. And I'm Howard. Um, and we're sitting behind Grimes, so if you hear some noise in the background, we are listening to Grimes' set. This is about as close as you can get. I don't know if you've been out there, but it's really, it's pretty rammed. Yeah. Good, she's great. Yeah? yeah? <laughs> Your fans? Yeah, I, I was trying to, we were trying to listen to Jesse as well at the same time. He was just there, but we couldn't quite get to the stage because we had so many interviews. <laughs> uh, who won in the noise competition? Because we're sort of between Jesse Ware and Grimes. Yeah. So it was probably Grimes. Yeah? Probably, but... I wasn't really listening that hard. <laughs> so you're headlining one of the stages tonight. Yeah. Do you have anything special planned? We do, yeah. Uh, we've got some special stuff happening. Yeah, we've got Jesse coming out to sing, and Sam Smith's here as well. He's going to sing Latch, which yeah. is going to be cool. Did, did you bring him out especially? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the first, first American show he's ever done with us. So yeah, And actually with Jesse as well, I think. First American show we've done with her. So. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like I mean the headlining slot that's kind of big news are you feeling any pressure with that not that I want to make you feel any pressure by saying it but it's it's great I mean we haven't even got a record out in the US and we haven't even got an album out anywhere so it's quite amazing to be given that slot Um, it's perfect for us I think instead of it being pressure it's more just excitement and feel quite privileged to be doing it Yeah. Yeah. yeah and is this your first time in California uh, no, we've done LA, um, but we haven't done Coachella, so first time Coachella. And, and how old are you both? Are you are you of legal drinking age in the I'm state not, of California? I'm 18, he's 21. Uh, I'll so be wait, have you got? You've haven't you've not not got the wristband yet? I, I don't seem to need one. I don't think I've just been drinking anyway. So I, uh, I just don't drink anyway, so it's fine. Uh, okay, fine. Then it's not a problem. It seems to be a bit of a Brits invasion this year. Have, have you seen, apart from the ones we've already discussed, have you seen any of your fellow Brits? Um, well, Jesse, um, I don't know really. I'm not, we're going to go watch James Blake in a bit. Yeah, uh, but, um, other than that, I think I think we want to watch mainly American bands. I want to watch Wu Tang and I want to watch uh, Tame Impala, oh, they're Australian, and I want to watch uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. That would be great. Uh, and what's next for you guys? Album? When is yeah. that due? June the 3rd uh, yeah, in the UK um, there'll be another single before that which is coming out very soon um, yeah what's the single? can't say just yet yeah. <laughs> you can't is anyone on it or are yes, you yeah. another someone's feature on it. someone is on it someone's on it that is an exclusive someone, someone is on a someone, song um, quite unexpected I don't uh, I think people will be like really? yeah but People are going to be like. Hopefully, really they'll just surprised. listen to it and realise it's okay. <laughs> it seems like you're having a really good few months. It's going well for you. Can't complain at all. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been really exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks very much. That was Rebecca Nicholson talking to Disclosure and Tim. Tim and Rebecca. Sorry. Couple of couple of drinks, I think. There, <laughs> what a sharpener uh, before they came on. Uh, think on uh, on air. Well, that's good. You know, it's all rock and roll. Let's move on then. It's a special record store day edition of Singles Club. It is Record Store Day. It on, is Record Store Day. On Saturday. Interesting question, Record Store Day. I mean, we obviously, 
covering music in the national newspaper, everyone calling up and saying, what are your record store day plans? And Well, actually, after several years of features about here's great record shops we have loved, there's kind of not a lot more to say No, but that's because most of them are closed down. But <laughs> there's also the question, is, is record store day actually about celebrating music or is it about encouraging people to buy artefacts? Because, you know, you know that within 24 hours of record store day, eBay is awash with a all this A friend stuff. of mine went, he lives in Croydon, and he comes down to record store day in Brighton. He turned up last year outside Resident Records in Brighton at 2am and there were 20 people in the queue in front of him and it opens at half nine. And he said they had one copy of, there was a Kate Bush 7-inch. The bloke bought it, came out of the store, then offered to sell it to him at like five times the price of what he just paid for it. This is, But, yeah. you know, it's getting people, there's people queuing outside record shops, perhaps you shouldn't be too. Have you ever t- partaken in Records Store Day? No. Yeah, you, do you have any records? No. No. The only time I see records really are like, at clubs in warehouses right and I do understand like the fetishization of vinyl mm. uh, because of its legacy and like especially in hip-hop and scratching and all of that and mix master mic and that whole the whole culture that comes with that sure. like to me like vinyl is very much like either hip-hop scratching or like played in a warehouse with like young like young DJs at the moment okay. who, who like have vinyl is that it's quite a cool because all we've had this conversation here before haven't we we talked to, to uh, both Andy Weatherall and I think Errol Olkin about it. You, you yep. see people DJing with vinyl because that's quite a rare occurrence. Yeah, but then there is like a fascination with that kind of retroism at the moment, isn't there? I think people are, yeah, I think like in club culture especially people. It's a very like, 90s thing. Yeah, the there's like a nostalgia, you know, it's, there's nostalgia in what you're playing and also the medium you're playing it through. Do you both have like massive record collections? Yes. Yes, loads. I, I actually don't have that much vinyl. I, I, I got burgled in my early 20s and all my vinyl went, mm-hmm. so... Did they, like, did they lift all? You couldn't have that yeah. much. Oh, they, they lift, well, they lifted all my vinyl, all my CD. Uh, no, I've never had enormous amounts of vinyl, because also, bear in mind, unlike you, I haven't done music journalism my whole life, and therefore and also I you weren't, been sent. And also, the thing is that you weren't mm-hmm. a dance music journalist, and that's where most yes. of my vinyl is, is dance right. 12 inches yeah. from my years at Mixmag. Um, it's a dance vinyl, da- dance 12 inches and Sarah Record 7 inches. Sarah Record 7 inches, yes, absolutely, <laughs> which are the, I, I'm going to sell. Some, well, I'm not going to sell. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, uh, Alexa's eBay handle is. So if you're interested, I have a copy of uh, My Secret World by the Golden Dawn currently on eBay. Um, <laughs> business opportunity. Um, no, no, it's just if if, if uh, Christine Pristine by the Sea Urchins. Uh, have you got the poster though? I've in, got everything. Yeah, it's all I've got Pristine Pristine blue tack marks on the back of the poster. Put see, up on my wall as a student. If it continues appreciating at its current value. I'm basically going to be able to put my kids through college <laughs> <laughs> just through selling that one seven-inch single. So it's, 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 the, the, the day I spent one pound seventy-five on that was the single best investment. Oh I've God, ever I made paid ninety-nine p for mine. Did <laughs> you? Yeah. Anyway, listen, we're getting wildly off the point. There is good music released as a result of Record Store Day. There are interesting things in there. Um, there are interesting things in terms of. Uh, Established artists having their music repackaged and intriguing. There's a great little David Bowie sort of fake uh, seven-inch EP of stuff that he put out in 1965, which looks really cool. It's really well done. Um, and uh, Pulp have put something out. Okay, Bush has put something out. Nick Cave. We've decided to pick a few gems out, or not gems, as the case may be. What are you saying? I'm, I'm not. I'm not slagging off anyone else. Any, anyone else's choices. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. First up is my choice. Thought it was sad 
No way we act like strangers After all that we had We act like we had never met That is the XX, you probably gathered. Um, but it's Jamie XX's re-edit of Sunset Track, the last album, which I think was only previously available in Japan. It's backed on a 12-inch single uh, with another Jamie XX re-edit of one of the tracks in their album. Um, I thought it was brilliant. It took a great deal to stop me just bringing in See Emily Play by Pink Floyd, which is probably my favourite single of all time and is being reissued on a, on a pink vinyl 7-inch. <laughs> uh, but I thought, no, rather than boosting you know, a band... Who went on to you know, Pink Floyd? Quite successful. You thought you'd go for this this group, the XX, who haven't been heard. You've at probably all not heard of them, Michael. You've probably not heard of them, right? Um, no, I thought this was great. I think it's actually better than the original. I think it demonstrates what he does really, really well. Mm. Is this sort of you could hear it in a club? Her voice. He makes her voice sound incredibly soulful, and and it's just it doesn't lose the song. It's subtly done. It's just a really good. It's a really good remix. Re-edit. He understands pace really well, I think, mm. and yeah, the way that this sounds quite sad and he really builds tension in it is really effective Mm -hmm. i was listening to it in my room earlier and there's just so much silence in there and there's so much pausing you could just hear everything and i had to kind of stop what i was doing so i could take it all in it's an interesting idea whether you could play it in a club i believe Mm. he played it as part of his uh, dj set at the boiler room sessions best set ever have you listened to it you You didn't you didn't you've never you didn't hear me play on new year's eve it was just cosmic I, I always say, forward me some of your sets, Alexis. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you know, it was full. I was playing a lot of obscure stuff. You know, Fat Boy Slim, Rockefeller Skank. You probably know that. <laughs> Corner shop, brimful of ash. That kind of thing. It was amazing. It was mega. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, he's great. I'm a big fan of him. But I was going to mention that Boiler Room set because I thought it was excellent and also a really good uh, collection of his sounds and his identity as a producer and a DJ and someone who understands electronica. It should be said that um, his re-edit of Sunset is not a staggering transformation of the song. I think that's it's why it's a, called a re-edit rather than yes, a remix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a it kind of slightly reconfigures, but uh, the space, I think, that you mentioned was, is, is the big thing in there, especially the way that almost everything drops out to allow her voice, which I think is what makes it sound so full. But there's, there's the really lovely trick beneath that, which I, I don't know if you can actually, you'll really clearly hear this listening to the podcast but beneath there's just the very faintest shadow of the kick drum it's almost yeah. like mm. a heartbeat and that yeah. that really does create this 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 atmosphere of, of foreboding and melancholy yeah. about it but it, it is beautifully done and her voice does sound wonderful on this um it kind of de-emphasizes the duet element he's just stuck at the yeah. beginning isn't he mm. and then there's there's no more of of uh of matey i can't remember yeah. what his name is what's the father from the xx called kevin trevor <laughs> Bradley um, yeah he, he definitely de-emphasises you but it's good to kind of reconfigure something yeah. that way I think it's really interesting uh, really well done um, I mean, it was, after that album came out and there seemed to be a bit of a, I mean not quite a backlash but a bit of a uh, yeah. hmm, well you know hmm, is, is this all they've got I mean they do only do the one thing but they do it so superbly yeah. you know they mm. kind of churn intently on the spot as if they're it's like they're mining a seam. It'll be interesting yes. to see if they can continue mining this seam Absolutely. forever. But at the moment, I don't think there's any signs of, of it running dry. Did yeah, you I see thought that album was wicked. I, I did too. I thought it was great. Did you see the photo on Twitter of uh, Romy XX meeting Tracy Thorne? <laughs> no. uh, they had some sort of summit. 
As, as Tracy Thorne said, she looks more like me than my own children. It's absolutely <laughs> remarkable <laughs> photograph of the two of them together. Where it's, you just think, is there some sort of maternity, maternity suite in the offing here? Um, let's move on. The XX Sunset, obviously, as all of these records are, uh, comes out on Saturday, uh, and you'll have to queue for six weeks. You start queuing now if you want to get a copy of it. Um, let's move on to Kieran's choice. Uh, disclosure White Noise a Hudson Mohawk remix thereof Kieran yes I also like from the list of things was really inclined towards uh, Biggie's Ready to Die mm-hmm. and the Roots' Things Fall Apart but then I thought no I really like Hudson Mohawk and considering the medium he's quite relevant because he kind of started off doing lots of turntable stuff and he was known as a turntablist back in the early days in Glasgow okay. uh, so I thought that this was um, worthy of bringing in um, he is, for those who don't know, part of the Lucky Me Collective, and he also does the Tonight Project with Lunis. And he's just been well; he signed to Warp Records, but he's also just recently been signed to uh, Kanye West Good Music Club label as well, which I think is pretty amazing considering how kind of well, considering he's already got a record deal. Well, how much, yeah, how much he's got a record deal, but also like how he really like manipulates and distorts and dislocates music, which is exactly what he's done here. I mean, the original is is quite poppy. It's straightforward, it's a deep house-ish kind of yeah, vibe to it. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you can at least follow it, whereas he's put this kind of frenzied industrial take on it and <laughs> and kind of you know, pulled it apart, which I quite like. And he's, like, reduced Alina Francis's vocal, which is quite beautiful, to kind of a really faint echo. Mm. And he's made the focus, the kind of the beats and the production more than the vocal, which I quite like. And I think, like, we, we've been discussing over the last few weeks about this the kind of the rise of a producer having a musical identity yeah. and kind of having a kind of celebrity. And I think that he's definitely uh, one of those people who is really at the forefront of that, like him and kind of Rusty, not, I mean, obviously Timberland, but these kind of producers are coming back in a really big way. And if they continue making music like this, then that's a good thing. No, I thought it was uh, thoroughly psychedelic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was brilliant. Michael? I I really enjoyed this one as well. Yay! Surprised you! <laughs> it's 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 very eighties sounding, isn't it, Kieran? Not in the pl- the sense of where the beats fall, but in that big kind of block chords of synths way. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, from my in depth knowledge of eighties dance music of, of Technotronic and groups like that. Wow, no, no not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> very, they're very underground band Technotronic in the eighties, Kieran. You've probably not heard of them. Um, yeah, this this beat is Technotronic. Probably defined the house sound. Mm, absolutely, yeah, that <laughs> and, uh, the, the power by Snap. Yeah, 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 your kid K. I mean, people always talk about Frankie Knuckles, but for me, it was all about your kid K. Um, I think it was called Yar Kid K, wasn't it? I think you're pronouncing it. Or maybe it was called Yar Kid K. Um, it was called Yar Kid K in Sloan Square, Alexis. No, no, I think it was, it was called Yar Kid K. I mean, it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're R- the in the song. Badlands of Hemel Hempstead. The, 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 the Rod Stewart song was not Do Yar Think I'm Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> but um, that, but it, it, it Hudson Mohawk. I because I, I, as you know, this is not home ground for me. Right. Is what Hudson Mohawk does often rooted in that kind of eighties styles? 
I w- or is that the disclosure end of things? I would say that was probably more the disclosure end of things. Mm. I think the Hudson Mohawk, especially heard with with the Tonight Project, is far more like clanging industrial kind of warehouse. So his is more the rhythmic end of things. I like the yeah. way that the rhythm and that big synth riff yeah, yeah, clash yeah. against each other. You know, you're constantly trying to get a hold and you think, here's the bit where you come in and dance. But in fact, it's always just moving slightly away from you. You can never really catch up with mm-hmm. where the song's going. I thought it was really brilliantly done, to be honest. Oh. Um, no, I liked it as well. So that, um, again, I'm not going to keep saying this. I say this after every record. That's available uh, on Saturday at your local record store. Finally, Michael's Choice. She kept it well, the mate's so fair. That's the whole steady, the bear and the maiden fair. This is taken from the soundtrack. That's right. It appeared on the closing credits of this week's episode of Game of Thrones. The whole steady were asked by um, David Benioff and Stephen Weiss to do a version of one of the lyrics that appears in the book of right. Game of Thrones, okay, okay. and then produce it. It was also sung that melody and those words, although not with the electric guitars, were sung in the episode by a band of wayfaring brigands. Um, well, now, what, what played by the whole steady? No, not played by the whole steady. Amazing if they played are. by actual actors. <laughs> <laughs> the whole steady in plaid shirts and glasses. Suddenly wandering through fantasy world. Where's that goddamn dragon come from? <laughs> um, I don't think that the whole steady are likely to be viewing this as one of their all-time career apogees. No. Um, it's no great secret the whole steady are probably my favourite current working band. Um, Game of Thrones in both its book and TV series form is, is one right? of my favourite pastimes as well. I, 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 I think Kim, before you came man. in, I, I read all four books one after the other a couple of summers ago. Did you? Yeah, you know, three thousand pages of reading oh, straight oh, off. Um, so yeah, I was quite excited about the prospect of them coming together. But yes, it's clearly <laughs> it, it's, it's it's throwaway. Of course, it's throwaway. I mean, they've said this themselves. They were asked to do it. Of course, yeah, it'll be a laugh mm. musically. Um, I think that uh, one might, if one were to be cruel, say, does the world need another Dropkick Murphys? Uh, we always... It's got an element of that. I thought the Young Fresh Fellows, actually, was the band that it reminded me of, the obscure um, comparison. I mean, uh, the, the Pogue's worst gift to the world was that kind of yo-ho-ho, let's drink <laughs> faux Irish punk rock that became so popular in America in the years after. But, you know, uh, and this is in that style. But interesting debate among... Uh, Game of Thrones fans about this song, which was uh, you, you <laughs> the prob- Game of Thrones you, forums. You probably saw the episode, which ended with Sir Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer, having his hand chopped off because right. Brienne of Tarth was unable to protect him, having been chained herself. Alexis is it's not. I, 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 I try, like try to get you. I try and get oh, close you to are, you. You, know? you, are, you are a craven errant hedge knight, Alexis. Um, some debate about what? whether <laughs> some debate about whether going from this character getting his hand chopped off straight into this piece of mm. rowdy Irish styled folk punk was really what the episode demanded. But but, it, but the producer was saying no. It's exactly it's a complete shock. It's a, it's a big dramatic cut. Some people take that line. <laughs> Uh, others think that sounded a bit odd, didn't it? Really? Well, you know, um, it's. I'd probably rather have something like this uh, at the end 
of an episode of a TV program rather than one of them songs by an like, athlete. You know, that yeah. <laughs> ponderous music. Oh. There's a band that seems now just exist in order to make ponderous music play at the end of house. Montage yeah. music. Montage music. Somebody, mm. You know, it's okay. like a child dying in a hospital intercut with two lovers kissing in the rain. But, but yeah. the, the, the Games of Thrones producers have been doing this. They had the National do one of the, the George R. R. Martin lyrics in the last right, season okay, of Game of okay. Thrones. So it's clear they're using this little vehicle. Hey, we can get our favourite groups in to do things. I think the interest for whole steady fans in this record it comes out as a seven inch only on Saturday is first the B-side which is a song that has not previously been released called Criminal Fingers which is sorry Criminal Finger just one finger uh, and that's what I'm going to give you if you're horrible about the whole steady yeah. uh, which is which is a hold steady song right. and you, know, you have the lyrics you have it's some lovely guitar work on that the interest in this one is what it might say for the next album in terms of the actual sound of the music. I think there have been many people felt that it was all getting a bit of wall of noise over the last whole steady records. The sound of Oasis was perhaps more prevalent than the sound of the Stones or some of their the previous touchstones. But this one, it's back to some space in the guitars, which I'm very happy with. Um, so I'm hoping that if the rest of the next whole study album is not entirely comprised of songs based on fantasy novels, <laughs> it will at least have some of the sound. I bet the Decemberists are just furious about this. <laughs> I bet oh. the you know, why didn't they pick us? There's all this kind of Michael Hand music they're sticking at the well, end. They, 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 they actually address that. Uh, the producers said, well, it'd be really easy to have groups like the Lumineers doing their kind mm-hmm. of acoustic folk thing, but you know, that's actually not what we wanted to do. We wanted to do something different from the prevailing mood of the series when we selected groups to do it. And but yes, I imagine the December's have probably already done their own quadruple album adaptation <laughs> of the entire series of books, available Kieran, as a fan-only fan only download. Kieran, did you like this? No, obviously I hated this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, it's not the record that just, I would use to introduce someone to the work of the whole study, I'll say just, that much. It's just like there's just so many things I don't get. That I can't. I just can't get into. Although I did like the story. I like read up the story, which is like basically Shrek. This is just Shrek, isn't it? Because the, oh, Kieran, you got you're going to be prepared for some hate on the, the thread beneath this. It's like basically like the the maiden was bummed out because she got rescued by this oh, hairy the story, bear. Song, not the, the, of sto- this song, not no, the story not Game of, the whole of Thrones. Of, Game of, Thrones, of this specific right. song, because the maiden, the maiden, Jesus, maybe say maiden. It, um, when I say the maiden, I usually mean Iron Maiden, obviously. <laughs> it's like kind of bummed out because she gets rescued by this big hairy bear instead of like Prince Charming or like a knight in shining armour and this is kind of I guess what this song is how can you not like a lyric that refers to uh, I had to dance with a hairy bear come on it's like yeah. to me it's again, old Compton Street I was going to say you know I was gonna, I just... <laughs> this is just a song about you <laughs> is it? <laughs> Kieran knows something about me that even I don't know <laughs> cool. God I've been out and I didn't realise <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Anyway, look, um, the whole study, the bear. Did you like it, Alexis? Alexis trying to steer clear of this, isn't he? I know. Not so much. I could see why you would like it. It had that, I'll tell you what it had. It had that final track on appeal session quality about it, didn't it? It's the The fourth track, you know. (laughs) And the last one. And here we are having fun. Yeah, Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, it's not a a serious piece of music. No, 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 absolutely not. That is available. What? Sorry, have you got something else to say? No, I was just going to say. It's like boys and beer. It's <laughs> just boys club and lots of beers. Two of your favourite like. things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the whole study, The Bear and the Maiden Fair, is a seven-inch single uh, that is coming out, as all our singles and singles club uh, this week are, as part of Record Shop Day. That just about wraps it up for Singles Club this week. <laughs> Hailing 
from the farmlands of Kentucky. Houndmouth play American folk, rock and sport accompanying facial hair. They've just completed a string of dates with their rough trade label mates Alabama Shakes, on which they played three count them, sold out London dates, which is when they came in to talk to Laura Barton. She began by asking them how coming from Kentucky had affected their music. I feel like if we play a show south of us, people think we sound like really northern, they don't like here. Like our twang, I guess, and our voices, and uh, if we play north of us, they think we're just like super southern. (laughs) So it's kind of a funny spot to live in. Do you identify with one or the other, or one in particular sort of musical heritage, the north or the south? Um... I go with the South. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got to stick to the twang. Um, <laughs> musically, what are your influences? I know that a lot of people cite the band yeah. for you, but I don't, is that something that you're conscious of? or? Um, I didn't technically start listening to the band until we started, until I heard the comparison. Like, I always knew, I knew who they were, and then we heard the comparison, and then I really got into them. We were but, all yeah. raised pretty similarly, you know, on the type of music that we listen to. Um, I mean, like, I grew up listening to Clapton and, like, the Beatles and Diana Ross, because that's what my parents listened to. Yeah, I was on James Brown and Randy Newman. We all got on a big John Prine kick lately. Gil Scott Heron, his brother the Baron, they flew down the south with their cold guys blaring. And you met in high school, is that right? Uh, yes, most of us. I actually met Shane... Pretty much the day we started the band. Because that's only a year ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So how did that come about? Uh, well, Matt and I kind of knew each other from high school. Like We played played poker together, but never really talked. Yeah, and I, I just remember hearing about this kid that could play guitar really well. So well, I remember when he called me when I moved back home from New York. Uh, when he called me and he was like, Hey, I like the music you're writing. You want to play some tunes together? I was like... I remember that kid can wail, so said yes. Come on over to my house. And why was it? What was sort of the impetus behind that? All of you getting together and making a band. I just got out of school, and was like, I was looking for a job. And what kind of job? Any job? Uh, like a probably just going to be a barista or something, you know, just hanging out. And uh, we got a like a a blog write up, like the day I was looking for a job, and. Uh, so I, I stopped. So <laughs> we should we should try this. You hadn't played keys before, is that right? Mm-mm. No, I'd, I'd played uh, just guitar. Matt and I'd played. Uh, and like an acoustic thing for like three years okay. before Houndmouth, and uh, so we just switched to the keys because we wanted that sound. So the first practices were pretty, pretty miserable. I was shocked last night because you swap, all swapped instruments at one point. Was that for the cover of "I Should Be Released"? Is that yes. yeah, yeah? Um, do you often do that? Oh, at practice. Um, when we're practicing, we're always switch around. Katie's always trying to get on the drums. Yeah, because she, <laughs> she's not the best. <laughs> if Shane goes out for a sig, somebody's jumping on the on the drums. And your manager's sitting in the corner, but he came in to play quite early, didn't he, in, in your story? Yeah, like our, our, one of our practice sessions, before we had our first gig, he was kind of just sitting on the couch and hanging out and said, you guys should get a name and do something. How did you choose your name? When we, we like were recording. together. <laughs> yeah, we do. 
And uh, so we were recording a solo last night because I recorded the EP. And uh, so it was just Matt and I one night and doing some solos. And there's these two dogs that lived really close to my house. So they were kind of howling one night. And uh, it was bleeding through on the mic. And I was like, we can't use that, Matt. There's too much hound mouth. So it's all stupid. But, <laughs> I like but we ended up keeping it. I think it was the time that we needed a name and the time we were just saying that word a lot. It's um, it's a kind of interesting time at the moment with British bands trying to sort of sell back a distinctive American folk sound. I'm thinking mainly of Mumford and Sons. Um, uh, in your country, how do you feel resentful of that? Do you feel sort of um, does it feel strange that you're almost bracketed with a with a British group that is basically doing American music? I don't think so at all. No, it's not yeah. a competition. It's a yeah. cooperation. And at the same time, yeah, like they, uh, they kind of boosted that scene beyond belief. Yeah. Do you feel part of a scene? Um, you refer to yourself so. as a folk band. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like people, we've heard comparisons to like, oh, they're like Mumford and Sons, and it's like, like we don't technically see it, but I guess yeah. you can put us in a category. Yeah. It's interesting because your your music could fall into you know more of that southerny rock sound sometimes, right, right. or or folk. But you want to be considered folk, or do you not care? Just um, you. I don't technically care. Yeah. I mean, I personally think it's more rock and roll just because it's all electric mm-hmm. instruments. Do you feel your sound is very much still evolving? You, obviously, as we said, you've only been together a year, so... Yeah, the writing's coming... We, we've been writing since... I mean, we had the album recorded, but we have a bunch of new songs, and there's, everything's kind of evolving still. How do you feel about those early songs already recorded? Yeah, yeah, I like still, yeah, we love them still. Yeah, well, we're still fresh, we're still new, you know. Yeah. We we haven't been around to hate them yet. That was Laura Barton talking to Houndmouth. Hamath's debut album from the hills below the city is out on June the 3rd on Rough Trade. That's it for this week. Thanks to Disclosure and, of course, Hailmouth. Also, Tim Jones, Rebecca Nicholson and Laura Barton. Thank you to Michael Hand for coming Thank you, again. Alexis. Thank, Thank you, you, Kieran, even though you're always horrible at every single song I ever pick when I come in. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we'll be back next week, Kieran and I. We will. Um, until then... You can check out guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for more information on the show and, of course, to have your say. See you next week. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.